0: a series that uh, is six weeks now. This is the final the final part of it. And the name of the series is called Who Needs God? Who Needs God? And so the idea is sort of twofold. We're We're very sophisticated people, you know. We're very independent. We're very able. We're very capable. And so there's that one side of, well, who really needs God then? I mean, why do we... Why do we need to be interested in this? And on the other hand, there are people who have grown up in churches all their lives, and many of them are starting to leave those churches, starting to abandon their their faith. Uh, there's a group of people called the nuns these days that are being talked about quite often, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, nun. So those are folks who have no religious affiliation. They're looking for the box on the forum that says, all these religions on it. What religion are you? The the one that says no religious affiliation. Thank you very much. I grew up with it. I was in church as a child or whatever, but I've let it go because I grew up and my faith didn't. So I left it behind. And so this is a rising group of people. And I'm convinced that even in church circles, there are people who kind of privately struggle with all kinds of questions about christianity and the bible and even what we're celebrating today the resurrection of jesus and they don't really ever get those questions solved or addressed and they try to believe and they try to do what they know they should do and it's just sort of a constant constant struggle so that's kind of uh, the gist of why we put this series together Um, it's uh, six parts you can catch up Uh, through our facebook page at city point church quebec you'll see all of them there we're streaming this now live on facebook and you can also listen on our website or through itunes if you you know want to run or be in the car and you want to listen you can do that as well Uh, but really you have a lot of information here and maybe some of you you're you're churched people you know you're christian people and you're trying to find ways to share your faith with non-churched people, non-Christian people. This is gonna give you a lot, a lot of information, this series. So in part one, we talked about Atheism 2.0 and this whole, it's really in post 9-11. There were a number of prominent atheists who wrote very, very, very popular books and those books skyrocketed in sales and those, those people became like rock star status uh, and they kind of had a new brand of atheism wasn't really so new but it was done in a different way and they really are helpful to us those those writers because they tell us what the logical conclusion of atheism really is and we looked at that in in part one in part two we talked about the gods of the no testament these gods that we believe in that aren't really real so life in a bubble god you know god will always protect you bad things will never happen to you on-demand God, you just have to push a little button and you can make God do whatever you want him to do. Uh, uh, boyfriend God, guilt, uh, boyfriend, God, girlfriend God. So I always feel God's presence, you know, just like my boyfriend or just like my girlfriend. I always just feel God. Okay, that's not true. You'll not always feel God's presence. Uh, guilt God. If I feel guilty, especially, that means I'm more godly. So guilt equals God. Uh, don't think, don't ask God. Never think for yourself, never ask questions, never ask hard questions about God or about faith, never do that, and anti-science God. You can't believe in science and the Bible at the same time. You either got to reject everything you know and have learned in high school, CJF, University, throw it all out and believe the Bible, or believe in science and throw out the Bible. All those gods are false gods, and uh, people, many people are walking away from faith because of those gods. Uh, well, they're walking away from gods that aren't real. In part three, we talked about the Bible says, are you sure? You know, in church life, it's, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Well, are you sure? Do you know where the Bible even came from? Do you know why you believe the things that you believe? Number one answer that church people give, why do you believe the things that you believe? Well, because I have faith. This is a, this is a really, really weak way to, to sustain your faith and to share your faith. If you believe because you believe, you believe because you have faith, wow, what happens when you don't have faith? What happens when you're sharing your faith with someone who doesn't have faith and they look at you and they say, I'll never have the faith that you have. No, the answer to the question, why do you believe the things that you believe is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Once you start from there, once you can establish that as your, as your basis, as your conviction, you start everything from there. Uh, in part four last week, we looked at the God that Jesus believed in. If all those false gods aren't really true, well, what God did Jesus believe in? And we talked about really how the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament are exactly the same. Some people say the God of the Old Testament's mean, nasty, violent, and the God of the New Testament is loving and kind and forgiving. That's not really true. When we actually read the Bible, we see that they're exactly the same. We talked about how Jesus used concepts like Father and love and Spirit to talk about God. And then on Friday night, we talked about injustice. And the whole idea, well, if God can and God is good, then why doesn't God stop things from happening that He? he, it seems he should stop them? Just this morning, I was reading of uh, bombings that took place in Sri Lanka and a number of churches and hotels and potentially hundreds of people who lost their lives, many more hundreds injured. I was reading um, uh, in South Africa, there was a Heavy rains, the little Pentecostal church there that collapsed, killed 16 people. Of course, we know about the fire in the in the Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, you know, which, interestingly enough, everybody's pouring out hundreds of millions of dollars to repair uh, this historic historic cathedral. Um, and people in 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 France, many people in France are outraged at the amount of money that is going toward that, but yet not to the plight of other things that are happening in France. It's interesting to see. Uh, But in any case, why doesn't God stop these things? And we talked about that on Friday night. So today we're gonna finish it and with the idea of, okay, if we get to a place and we get to a point where we can accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the dead, if we can accept that, if we can build, build some kind of case for that, and we've tried to do that in this series, um, you know, maybe you can't prove that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. You know, maybe you can't prove this and that story and the Exodus story. Well, if you, if you can have a firm conviction of Jesus and his resurrection, you start from there and say, okay, oh, well, let's, say, let's say that that happened. So what? What difference does it make to me in my life today in the 21st century if Jesus did rise from the dead? So what? What is the practical benefit to me? Or is this just some miracle that happened that'll never happen again? And what difference does it make to me and to my life if Jesus died and rose from the dead? Wow, 2,000 years ago is a long time, yes? So that's supposed to be relevant to my life today? Why? And that's what we're going to, to talk about Uh, just over the next few minutes so just just in two simple ways the death and the resurrection of jesus christ this affects profoundly when you start thinking about it profoundly your identity now right now and your future then your identity now and your future then and and to to illustrate this we're going to look into some of the things that the apostle Paul wrote. Paul was um was in today's language he would be considered like a religious terrorist. So so Paul would have Christians murdered, he'd have them executed, he'd have them thrown into prison in the name of religion. He would commit violent acts. He had no problem with that. He would do that in the name of God against the early church. And he persecuted violently uh, the early church in the first few years, right at the beginning of this movement, if you will, that we call Christianity. If you know anything about Paul, you know that he has this dramatic experience, a dramatic transformation in his life where the man who was feared as the one who would persecute the church, the one who would have people murdered, the one who would have people executed, the one who would have them thrown in prison in the name of God, he would do those things, that that person, and he had quite a reputation, he was quite feared, that that person had actually embraced what he was persecuting. So he turned 180 degrees and became a very, very passionate follower of, of this Jesus, and, and the most significant leader in the early church is the Apostle Paul. And he turns around and he writes a big chunk of what we call the New Testament. But you have to understand where he's coming from. He, he was, a, for all intents and purposes, like a religious terrorist back then. And so even when it, when it happened to him, people were very doubtful that it was true at the beginning. They thought maybe this was a ruse, and maybe this this Paul is just trying to get an in inside the early church, only to persecute it even further. It took a little while for people to be convinced that Paul truly was changed. That's how prominent and how influential he was, and so he is the one who's going to write all of these things that we'll talk about today uh, because, again, in his own life, it affected His identity immediately, and he was aware that it affected his future. So, your identity now, your future then. Uh, First and foremost, when you speak about now, when we talk about the death of Jesus, first and foremost, you can phrase it this way because he died, I died. This is the way that Paul would say it, and the same is true for you and me today. Who choose to follow this this Jesus of of Nazareth? Because he died, I died, and this is the way that that Paul writes it to the uh, in the book of Romans. This is first century, okay, and he's he's arguing. A particular point here trying to say trying to talk about the grace of god and how the grace of god should make a, make our lives change and make us live different and he says this don't you know that all of us who were baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death when he died I died, and Paul would talk about and, and teach in in what he writes in the New Testament that you and I have a have a major major problem in life uh, i don 't know if any of you uh, well some of you were put your hand up if you were in the movie yesterday in uh, breakthrough yeah okay, so about half of you so in this in this movie that we saw, which is a true story, you see a a um, uh, the person who, who pulled up this boy named John Smith from the, from the lake. And uh, you see what he goes through in this movie because he's not, a, he's not a Christ follower at all. He's not religious. And by his own profession, um, he does not believe in God. And this is a true story. You can see the man uh, interviewed if you want, if you hunt around on the internet. And, and he distinctly when he was trying to pick out this boy's body, I mean, he's underwater for 15 minutes, so presumably dead. When he's trying to pick this boy's body up, he distinctly claims that he heard a voice telling him to go back, distinctly. He thought it was his, his boss at first and was quite certain of that. And so he went back and he actually fished the boy out um, and 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 pulled his body out of the water, but he was convinced that somebody told him that. And you see the kind of transformation that happens in this person in the in the movie. It's well done, where where he realizes that nobody told him to go back, and that maybe this God that he doesn't believe in really exists. And he's contemplating all of this. And at the end of the movie, toward the end of the movie, he says he says that. I have a big personal problem if that god exists i have a problem and paul would talk about this problem and paul would say we have a problem in that our sin the way that we live our lives it's it's in opposition to the morals and the ethics of god and paul was you know no uh, no stranger to this he's persecuting the church and, and he would argue and he would say that everybody, all of us in life have missed the mark of God's ethics and God's morals and all of us have a big, big problem because we have this block between us and God and we cannot communicate with him. He can't communicate with us. We have a relationship disconnect with God and that is because of our sin. And so, when Jesus dies on the cross, Paul would argue, he dies on the cross to build a bridge between us and God. So that the old you, the old me, when we come to faith in Christ, the old you, the old me dies. Not physically and literally he's talking about things about the soul here things about what's going on inside the heart of a person the old me died romans 6 3 and 4 you were baptized into his death paul would say to the galatians the same type of thing i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me the life that i now live i live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. So the old me has died. Jesus would say to the people in the gospel of Luke, whoever wants to follow me must take up his cross daily, he said. This would have made the people, their eyes would have gotten big daily. People who take up crosses don't live. They die. We see them die every time they take up a cross. They never come back from a crucifixion. And Jesus says, you take up your cross daily and you die to that old you. Here's here's the problem that I observe uh, today as a pastor in the 21st century church. We have, in my view, totally lost sight and cognizance of the reality that there's a such thing as sin. And I'm talking about people inside the church, in the 21st century church The concept of being forgiven of our sin, the concept of how much our sin causes us problems in life, your greed, your pride, your deception, your vengeance, your lust, your selfishness, your materialism, your self-centeredness, all of these kinds of things, the degree to which those things cause us problems, we have totally lost sight of. So when we think about, well, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus rose from the dead, we say, well, so what? Because we, even we in the church, it's like the concept of, do you know what, what sin does to a person's life? Do you know what sin does to a person's relationships, how toxic relationships become because of sin? Do you know how marriages become toxic because of sin? We've lost sight of some of this. And so when we read something like what Paul writes here, it's, we're sort of inoculated by it. Paul wasn't. Paul, was. it was a very vibrant thing in his life because he knew what it was to be an enemy of God. He knew what it was to be a persecutor of the church and a violent man. And he says, when Jesus died, I died. I died to that old me." that old materialistic, proud, arrogant, selfish, lustful, greedy, whatever you fill in the blank, that old me died because he died, I died. And that can be a reality in a person's life today where they're living in a different way because the old them has been put to death. You take up your cross daily. And you say, well, I don't live for myself anymore. I live for the Savior who died for me. It affects your your identity in that way. Because he rose, I rose. So Paul continues, and he says, we were buried with him through baptism into death. When we baptize people in water, we illustrate this. Uh, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, the resurrection, through the glory of the Father, we too may live the same old way we always lived. No, we too may live a new life. We can take a 180 degree turn, just like Paul did, and we can live a new life because as Jesus rose, so did we rise. I'm not talking about physically, I'm not talking about literally yet, but in the sense of there's a transformation in the human heart that happens. We identify with his death, we identify with his resurrection. You know what the problem is with us is we compare ourselves to ourselves. And we say, well, you know, I'm a really good guy. You know, I'm faithful to my spouse or I'm a really good girl. I'm faithful to my spouse. I pay my taxes. You know, i have got five days left, I think. I pay my taxes. You know, I help people. I'm a nice person. Look at this person over there. Look at how nasty that person is. By comparison, I am a nice person. And if there is a God somewhere, surely he is going to acknowledge me and my nicety. Uh, the problem is that when we do that, we're comparing ourselves with ourselves. When you compare yourself to God, my friends, you have a big problem. And so do I, just like the character in the film. Well, I have a real personal problem now. If God exists And he's morally and ethically eternally holy. If I compare myself to him, I have a big, big problem. Any of you know any of the Ten Commandments? Shout it out to me. Thou shalt not not steal. You ever stolen before? Come on, raise your hand. I mean, I've stolen a lot. You ever cheat in an exam in high school? Yeah, I used to cheat in exams in high school. You know how I did that? I would, I would, you know, I did it the old-fashioned way back in the, you know, 1940s. No, I'm kidding. You know, you, you, you go into the classroom before the exam, and you put a little cheat sheet inside the little desk. Back then, you had these desks, and they'd have like a big slot. And all you had to do instead of memorizing all the formulas and everything is you just lean back, and it's all there. And the teachers were so daft. They didn't even see, you know, how I planted it in the desk before the classroom started. You know, say hi to the teacher, make make myself look like I'm a really enthusiastic student. All I'm doing is cheating. I'm dropping my cheat sheet in the desk, okay? Do you know what that's called? Stealing. You ever stolen anything? Even as a kid, you got your hand in the cookie jar? Do you know we break the commandments of god every single day we may not do with our hands but we do with our hearts we do with our minds we do with our hands sometimes but when we compare ourselves to god and not to one another then it's sort of oh boy i have a problem because if god is real there's no way i'm going to impress him with my behavior because jesus died i died because jesus rose i rose because jesus ascended a word we don't use too often that's the idea of him going up into heaven going up into the sky into the supernatural place called heaven because jesus ascended i ascended you probably never think about that. Well, Paul did. Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about how in our old life we were dead, but dead in sin, and how we were by nature enemies of God, by nature. You know, some people a question a question came in um via email to me and um it it's a very very hot button issue, okay? Just just to bridge it very very quickly. And this is a major, major issue in the church today, especially in the United States. There are splits and movements over this. And the whole thing about homosexuality and same-sex marriage, and there are churches that are splitting in half about, can clergy be homosexual, lesbian? What are we going to do with this? You know, same-sex marriage is legal all over the place. And so the, and so the question came in, uh, well, you know, if people are born that way, then why is God that's the way that the question came in just in a general sense can i just tell you we're born with our back up against the wall we're born according to paul here in ephesians 2 we're born as enemies of god by nature he says we are objects of wrath you can pick any sin you want it doesn't matter i mean in his eyes it's all it's all the same thing You can pick any one you want. By nature, we are prone to, we are born that way in the sense, we are prone to transgress God. We can't help it. Just try it with your children. Don't cross this line. What do they do? Right away. As soon as you tell them not to cross it, right away they will cross it paul says the exact same thing he says i would not know what sin was if it wasn't for the law of god the old testament i wouldn't know but as soon as i knew the law of god you know do not steal that's when i crossed the line it's the exact same thing that your children do we have within us it's like a ticking time bomb we, we, by nature, are enemies of God. Pick your sin, it doesn't matter. We, we like to argue about one more than another, but by nature, Paul says, we are enemies of God. We are, in a sense, born that way as enemies of God. Wow, maybe you thought that we're all born good, We're all born with a clean slate. Look at the beautiful, innocent Dylan who we dedicated this morning. Look how innocent and how precious and how clean he is. Yeah, right, go to his house and talk to his parents. They'll tell you how he behaves when he's hungry, for example. They'll tell you, right? You can see it even in a little child. You can see that nature to want to step across the line. We are born that way. Paul says, because of that, we're deserving, I mean, the punishment of God. But God, because of his great love for us, because of his mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sin, it is by grace you've been saved. And watch this God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Past tense. In him, I ascended. This is not my home, is what Paul is saying. He's saying, my home is in another place. My home is in another space. My home is in is with the Lord in heavenly places. He raised me up with Christ. I died in him. I rose from the dead in him. And I ascended with him in heavenly realms in christ jesus paul would say our citizenship to the philippians our citizenship is in heaven you may have a canadian passport or a u.s passport or a passport from whatever country paul's saying listen my passport is in heaven I am raised with Christ and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Wow, that's pretty good. If you think about that, you think about the the practical benefits to identifying with Jesus. Wow, it doesn't matter if you lose your job. It doesn't affect your identity. You're still, you're still dead, raised, and ascended with Christ. It doesn't matter if your marriage falls apart or it fell apart. No, I, I, I died with Christ. I'm risen with Christ. I ascended with Christ. That is who I am. It doesn't matter if I get sick. It doesn't matter if I get well. This is who I am. It doesn't matter if I'm rich or if I'm poor. This is who I am. Died with Christ, risen with Christ, ascended with Christ. Wow, well, I'd want to identify with Jesus, wouldn't you? So this is, a, this is a powerful thing. You can face life when your identity is not based in yourself or based on what people say about you, or based in how you compare yourself to other people, but your identity is in the carpenter from Nazareth. Not only does it affect your life now, it affects your life then, your future then. Because he died, I will die. You say, "Uh, what are you talking about? You're gonna die anyway. Yep, you will. It's amazing, amazing to me how we we rarely contemplate the reality that 100%, 100% of all humanity, past, present, future, will face the grave. 100%. Can you imagine? It never, never misses. To those of us who have no faith, those of us who say there's nothing beyond when, when, when we pass away, it can be a very, very dark time. It can be a very awful time for those around us. There can, be, there can be a grief that has no hope to it. It is a completely hopeless grief. Death becomes something to be afraid of. Death becomes a, a curse, as it were. Here it comes. Who's next? You know, when well, you get to a certain age and it's, well, who's next? Is it me? Is it my neighbor? You, know, you start reading obituaries. You start getting interested in that. And it becomes this kind of grim reaper. Um, it, it, in Christ, it's a totally different thing. Because he died, I will die. And that's a gift, not a curse. It is a gift, not a curse. Why? Because in Christ, when you pass through that curtain to the other side, that's where you meet God. God. You can't meet him face to face now. You cannot. You you only have you have a relationship with him. Yes, he's present with you, yes. But face to face in his presence, you cannot do that until you pass through that curtain to the other side. It becomes a gift, not a curse. Do you know in um, I think it's I think it's in South Africa, there is a story that has gone all over the place, it's gone worldwide of a pastor there who staged a resuscitation or some people call it a resurrection. He staged it. So he had a person come into the church in a casket. True story. Had him come into the casket, paid him, paid off the funeral home and everything, had the whole thing staged, had the whole thing arranged. And the guy gets up they're all everybody's praying and they're saying rise up rise up rise up and the guy gets up out of the coffin you know complete with the look on his face and everything completely staged there's a big investigation about this pastor now i think he's in serious serious trouble but i even see this kind of thing in north america i even see this this kind of thing in canada listen friends it's a gift for the christian it's not a curse when a person is, is, is in, a, in a state, when they're in a hospital and they're suffering in a hospital bed and it's like it's going to end and people are saying it's going to end, it's going to end. When a person has come to the end of their life even and when it's going to end or even when they're not, even when it's a, a, something that's premature and you say, oh, 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 you know, this is terrible, this is terrible. Listen, is the person in Christ or aren't they? Is the person a believer or aren't they? Because if the person is in Christ, they can't lose. When they pass through the curtain to the other side, they meet God face to face. Meet God face to face. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. It's a gift to be able to have that. And we have had people in our church in recent months lose loved ones. Some of them really prematurely, some of them totally out of nowhere, totally in, 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 a, in a shock, just took a, took a whole family totally by surprise. Some people, well, there's one person who lost two loved ones in two days. And it just came out of nowhere. It's just total, total surprise. Ah, but is the person in Christ? If the person is in Christ, it is a gift. It is not a curse. And I have seen people, I've seen Christian people at, at funerals and they're saying, oh, this is so bad. We need to pray for the person to be, to be raised from the dead. Excuse me? Do you know how selfish a prayer that is? The person is with the Lord face to face. Leave them there. Why do you want them to come back so that they can see your face? They see God face to face in his presence, free from whatever took their their life in this world. And we want them back. Do you know why we want them back? So we can say we prayed them back. So we can strut our stuff and say, ooh, I got the resurrection prayer, baby. (laughs) Resurrection. Mm Mm-hmm we do that for very very selfish reasons and i have seen people do it at funerals and i get so disturbed in my heart when i see that because it's a total misunderstanding and misconception of how death becomes a gift and not a curse for the person who is in christ you see it in the life of uh, of the apostle paul and he talks about this at length In some of his writings in 2 Corinthians, he says this, for we know, this is read at funerals and gravesides, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he was a tent maker by trade, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. We know that if we lose that tent here, that body is destroyed, we have something on the other side. Meanwhile, he says, we groan and we long to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling instead of with this body with this tent because when we're clothed with this tent we will not be found naked when we're clothed in heaven he's saying for while we are in this tent we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling you pass through the curtain to the other side so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It is a gift, not a curse. We are always confident. We are not sometimes confident. We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from this body and at home, at home with the Lord. That is the promise that we have for the future. You see it even in the life of Stephen uh, before this, this Paul, uh, his conversion. You see him in the book of Acts officiating at a brutal stoning of a, a believer by the name of Stephen. They arrested Stephen for preaching about Jesus and you know, the religious police, as it were, arrested him and Paul over, oversaw his stoning. And uh, they put him on trial and he, he preaches this long kind of sermon to the people and they start getting more and more angry. And he says, you stiff necked people. This is Stephen who's about to lose his life. He says, your hearts and your ears, you're just like your ancestors. You resist God. Was there ever a prophet that you or your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of Jesus. And now you have betrayed and you have murdered Jesus. And you who have received the law that was given through angels, but you, you yourselves have not obeyed it. And they got so, so, so angry at him and they, and they drag him out and they, they're, they're going to stone this man to death for, for blasphemy. And he says, while he's being, while his life is being taken, he says, look, I see heaven open and the son of man, that's Jesus standing at the right hand of God. They get so angry, they drag him out and they say, we're going to stone him and they proceed with it and they take their their coats, their overcoats and they lay them at the feet of young Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the apostle Paul typically. And while they're stoning him, while they are taking his life, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm going through the curtain. And he says, do not hold this sin against them. Wow, they're stoning him to death, and he says, do not hold this sin against them. That sounds like Jesus. Jesus said, forgive them, they know not what they do. It sounds the exact same thing. Death becomes a blessing, not a curse. It becomes a gift, not a specter of darkness for those who are in Christ. You don't have to fear it anymore because he died. Yes, I will die because he rose. Hey, I will rise. I will rise. And Paul goes in great length of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, you read the whole, whole, whole chapter. And he's arguing about the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of the believer because of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus himself. And he's arguing this at length with these people in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he says, look, let me tell it to you this way. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another kind of splendor. The stars have another kind and stars differ in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And he talks about how there will be a transformation into something that is physical, but totally different than what we understand. You and I, we live in a body that is dying. It's dying. And the older we get, the more we're aware that it's dying. The sorer we get, the grayer we get, the more hair we lose, the more tired we get, the more ill we get sometimes. And we're aware of the fact that this body, it's a perishing body. It's a mortal body. Paul says, you're not always going to have that body. In the resurrection, the physical resurrection of the body from the dead, it will be physical, but it will be immortal. It will be physical, but it will be imperishable. It will be glorious. It will be, it'll be a body, but it'll be unlike anything that you've ever known. It'll be like the body of Jesus himself who walked through walls. I mean, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he he was in one place one time, he's in another place another time. It's a physical body, but it's transformed. It's totally, totally different. This is a promise, my friends, because Jesus experienced a physical bodily resurrection, you and I will as well in Christ. You say, well, I really don't know if I can believe that. Well, again, it starts with the resurrection of Jesus. If you can accept his maybe he's going to do the same thing for you as well. It's a, it's a total, total transformation that will happen. Because he rose, I will rise. I've heard people who have, I've had the question many, many times. And they say, you know, I don't know if when I pass away, my body should be cremated or buried. And I've, I've worked with people who have had funerals. I mean, I've probably buried... 70 70 plus people over my ministry okay over the last 18 19 years and i've had that question come up so 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 many times and i've even seen people very very bothered very upset very frustrated when they see someone has decided to to have their remains cremated or a loved ones remains cremated and they're very very bothered they say well god can't resurrect when you cremate the remains excuse me god can't Who, whoever told you to that, that you can say that god can't do anything god can't so okay so just to get a little bit gruesome with you do you know what they do in the 21st century here in the western world to a body do you know what they put in that body to preserve that body do you know if you raise that body with that preservative in it it would die do you know what that preservative is poison so and then we say well but if we if we cremate the remains god can't raise from the god can't raise from the dead can't if he did it to jesus he can do it to he, he, friends he doesn't even need it he doesn't even need the pile of ashes he doesn't even need the skeleton he doesn't need anything he's god never say god can't raise someone from the dead this is called a contradiction in terms you're dealing with a supernatural event so this whole business of cremation or burial which one's cheaper (laughs) a lot of people make decisions based on that you know a lot do so we're talking about something that is completely different from the way that you and I understand life and the physical body. Because he rose, I will rise. Yep, you got it because he ascended I will ascend. The same thing is going to happen to me in the future. Paul says to the people in the church in Thessalonica, he says, listen, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to have knowledge about those who die, those who pass away, those who fall asleep, he calls it, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope you ever been to a funeral where there's no hope at all in the room where there's nothing but grief and sadness and wailing and mourning and it doesn't stop and doesn't stop and doesn't stop because there's no hope for the future and paul says i don't want you to grieve like that I want you to be informed about something. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. There it is, the death and resurrection. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him as if they're alive somewhere. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, which we talked about on Good Friday night, those who are left until that moment, something's going to happen, but we, it will happen to them who died before it happens to us. The Lord himself will come down from heaven a supernatural event, with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. I will ascend, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You say, that is crazy. This is a cult. You guys believe in aliens and flying bodies and all of this stuff. No, well, where, why does Paul believe it? Because Jesus died. And rose from the dead this is his foundation for everything after that we are still alive and are left will be caught up we will meet with the lord in the air and so we will be with the lord forever therefore encourage one another with these words do not be ignorant about the future it is glorious for those who are in christ It is a glorious future that we have. And it is based on the secure foundation of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's where it starts. Paul always goes back, right back to that one thing. If you have that, you have everything. If you identify with Christ, you have everything now and you will have everything then. No wonder they couldn't stop the early church. No wonder no matter how much they persecuted, it grew and grew and grew because even when they put these people to death for them, it was like a gift. Can you imagine being being stoned to death or being crucified upside down or being burned alive and thanking God for the gift? This is lunacy, but this is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus you can even walk into the jaws of death itself and win in the end. Oh my goodness. That, you know, that should make you excited. That should be why we celebrate on Easter Sunday because I'm telling you, friends, when you face it, when you're in a family situation and you face it and you lose somebody, and there are four or five people who have experienced that in our church in the last year and a half. Just one after the other, after the other, after the other. As recently as three days ago, I mean, it, it, when you experience it and you know the promise of God based on the risen Savior, wow, it changes the way that, that you deal with everything. Changes the way you grieve. It changes the way that you live. It changes the way you interact with people. It changes the way you do your relationships. It changes the way that you, that you do everything. Why? Because of Jesus and because of his death and because of his resurrection.